0: This is TREP Wire Week in Review for week ending April 30th. I'm Martha Kocher with TREP, a data modeling and analytics firm for the CMBS commercial real estate and CLO markets. I'm with Manis Clancy, senior managing director and Joe McBride, head of Finance. This week, the U.S. is approaching 40% of the population fully vaccinated, and President Biden pitched his sweeping American families plan to Congress. In economic news, with a deluge of earnings reports, 80% of the companies reporting beat estimates. And economic data point to a continued rebound. Initial unemployment claims were relatively flat. The first read of first quarter GDP growth was 6.4%. And April consumer confidence soared to pre-pandemic levels. And Manus, no surprises from Fed Chair Powell after the Fed's two-day meeting. Powell said it's not time yet to tighten monetary policy.
1: That's largely what people were expecting uh, people were expecting two things, right? Zero interest rates going forward, which has been the case for quite a while, and people expect it to be the case for the foreseeable future, and no plan to taper the bond buying purchases, which is now $120 billion per month. We've said before that we expect that to be something which would rattle the markets when it happens, but it hasn't happened yet. One thing that he did mention in his comments was the word froth, which was the first time he had ever kind of tipped his hand a little bit to the fact that uh, perhaps things are getting a little bit overheated. We talked about it, or he talked about it in the context of the equity markets. And for a brief time on Wednesday, we did see a sell-off, but that was very short-lived. It didn't uh, take any root. by Thursday. It was risk back on. The markets were soaring, helped by really, really strong earnings. But it does feel a little bit like that we're really kind of whistling past graveyards to kind of capture a Sam Zell uh, favorite cliche that there's there's so many signs right now that inflation is soaring and yet we're completely dismissing it, tucked away in today's GDP report as you would see in a in the Barons write up about this, uh, the GDP deflator rose at 4.1 percent, which was Um, well above, in their words, uh, the 2.6% rate that they were anticipating. So, you know, it just kind of shows that the economy is really starting to bubble. We're seeing housing prices take off. And I I think that this is not something that investors can dismiss, that uh, the second half of the year could see another run-up in the 10-year treasury, which would not be beneficial if we went from 170 today or thereabouts, uh, 160, which is where we are today, to two and a quarter, two and a half, I think that that would be a net negative for investors. So certainly something to watch.
2: If what we're waiting for to admit that there's inflation is wage growth, just look at the restaurants and the fast food chains that are being forced to offer cash just to come and interview, right? Like they just, they, they cannot fill the spots that they need to fill right now. And they're just going to have to raise wages until, you know, demand meets supply. On the home price front, there's been a couple of uh, tweets out in the tweeterverse about invitation homes and others that, you know, I was listening to the KKR mortgage REIT earnings call today, and they had they had just done a big portfolio loan in the single family rental space. And, you know, there's so much capital in the world that it's continuing to chase newer and different things. And I know that the single family rental space has been around for a while since the last crisis, but you know, it's getting to the point where uh, you know, normal Joe Schmoe might be you know, competing with uh, Invitation Homes or Blackstone or somebody else when they're trying to buy a house. And uh, that's just gonna continue to happen when the cost of capital for the big institutions is so, so low. And that, you know, for, for me, it's like, when, Jay, when? When do, you, when do you at least say, you know what? It's not 120 billion. Next month, it's gonna be 119 billion. Like maybe we should just like the Nicoderm patch of quantitative easing. Can we just throw like, you know, the two milligram patch on there right now and just, just, you know, kind of work our way back to normal?
1: I get together with a gent about once a month who's in the construction business. And we talk at length about business conditions for him. I'm not going to refer to him by name because he'd prefer to uh, remain anonymous. So, so going forward, I'm going to refer to him uh, as the recurring character known as the Ninja Turtle, which he agreed to. But um, you know, he, he works for a company. About Michelangelo that... or Leonardo? We couldn't pick one. Donatello. <laughs> he works for a company that builds you know several hundred to a thousand homes a year. And two I think ago, I know who
2: you're talking about. When I won't met... give it up.
1: I won't give it up. When we met, he said, lumber prices are just soaring right now. He goes, it's really crimping our margins right now. A month later, it was not just lumber. It was petroleum products, especially those used for windows, that either he couldn't get them or he had to pay such a premium price for them, he couldn't believe it. And then most recently, it was copper. And the thing that got me was he was saying two things. One is that on... The supply side of of, uh, materials, the last, let's say 50 houses that they built were done basically at no profit because they locked these in, they gave people contracts in, let's say, November or October. And because of the rising prices, no profit. On the other side, the demand side, people are coming in so often that they've had to take a time out because of both supply limitations, but also because there are just so many people putting in orders that they were not sure that they'd be able to meet those orders. And if that doesn't, that combination doesn't speak, you know, rank inflation coming down the road, I don't know what does. So we
2: talked about this, you know, mid super lockdown last year in 2020, like the supply chain of everything is going to be affected by this, right? When you're sending workers home for months on end, or even if, if you send all workers home for two weeks in the kind of global supply chain, that's gonna have ripple effects for a really long time. I actually listened to another podcast, interviewing a guy who is in the lumber brokerage business. And he went through the whole thing. And he basically said that in 2020, when this thing first hit, all the sawmills basically said, we don't wanna be caught holding the bag like some of them were back in 2008 and nine. So they all cut production significantly, right? So they cut production into this massive surge in demand for housing, right? So it's kind of like the two things put together, cut production, significant increase in demand at the same time, and they're still just trying to catch up. You have to see the, the great memes on Twitter and Instagram where it's like, before and it's like, you know, Kim Kardashian, billionaire with her big house or whatever. And then after it's just like a guy with a pickup truck full of lumber. Like that's the new billionaire right there.
1: Well, the person that I pity at this point is the new home buyer, right? Because you're getting pity menace. (laughs) Well, you got in under the wire, right? You, you purchased your home late last year before this This you know surge in demand, it it seems anyway to some degree. I
2: will I will protest with you on that one. But yeah, okay, go
1: ahead. Continue. But (laughs) you know, you just think interest rates are no longer at their all-time low, they're up 75 basis points. New homes are are moving higher because of the cost of production. And inventory is de minimis right now for existing stock. So if you are a home buyer. You're getting squeezed. I guess the great news is, you know, in theory you can wait, right? You don't have to have a house today unless you're in an apartment with triplets or something like that, and you're just, you know, going out of your mind. Uh, but on the other side, shout if out you, Keegan. <laughs> on a, and a, you know, if you're a homeowner, right, these are the salad days for you, right? You you have you know almost a name your price price tool.
0: <laughs> so turning to retail. Here in New York, Mayor de Blasio has announced that all restrictions will be lifted for businesses July 1st. And Manis, why don't you highlight some of the things you've seen in the past uh, week in the news?
1: Well, we do like to, to keep this kind of on a theme level when we talk about things. And so we try to group our stories together. Martha tries to keep us in line, which is not always easy and it's always appreciated. One of the things we've talked about historically is how street level retail in New York was really decimated. Going into the pandemic, it was already slumping, a lot of empty space. Rents had gotten out of control. People couldn't make a profit on some of these high end upper east side or upper west side fashion or jewelry or other type of of products. And so they were starting to move on. Of course, there was also e-commerce challenges for these businesses in, in some areas as well. So heading into the pandemic, it was weak during the pandemic, we saw a lot of people uh, give up their space. Sometimes they would go the legal route and um, demand that they be let out of their lease and so forth. So it was a real troubled area. But in this last week alone, we've seen three new leases for street level retail. Number one was SL Green. And by the way, this is a story that came out of Real Estate Weekly. I do like to give credit where it's due. SL Green announced that the fashion jewelry brand Vashi had signed for almost 12,000 square feet in Soho on Green Street. Um, That's a 15 year lease. So that's a real sign of progress um, in that particular area. Joe Hudson, by the way, of CBRE represented Vashi and SL Green was represented in house. But you know, a great sign Soho is kind of that part of New York that is a little bit of NYU So if students weren't there, you know, it it kind of loses its vibe. And then a lot of high-end kind of uh, artists, musicians, actors, stuff like that. So it's a real high-end clientele who could easily afford the Hamptons in times like this. And uh, the fact that this jeweler is taking space there is a positive sign. The next one, uh, another high-end type of seller for retailer Maximilian was expanding its presence in Bloomingdale's. They're having their first freestanding a midtown store. They signed a three-year lease for 8,200 square feet at, at the retail space at East 57th Street. So again, a high-end seller of products taking over space. That was according to the Commercial Observer. The last one, also the Commercial Observer, Italian furniture designer Rima Dicio is opening a 6,200-square-foot showroom in um, kind of the 30th Street corridor of Madison Avenue, so about 10 blocks south of Grand Central. So all positive developments for a part of the market that has just been really punished over the last 18 months.
2: You mentioned SL Green. First of all, you were talking about all those people that live in Soho, and I couldn't help but think of Ross and Rachel and Monica and Chandler. Shout out to those guys. SL green also reported their earnings and a couple of highlights here. I think the CEO Mark holiday was on CNBC and he had a, a couple of quotes there too, but SL green collected 98% from its office tenants and 85% from its retail tenants for a 95.3% uh, kind of weighted average collection rate. Um, Couple of other things there. Tenants have definitely had the upper hand in negotiations over the past year. Not surprising, you know. Face rents dropped between five and ten percent over the last year. And you know, coming from a slightly biased perspective here, but uh, the consensus was that you know SL Green's tenants will be going to a full return uh, sometime this summer. I think that's probably very optimistic, but. You know, I, I like the one line in there, which was those who work from home will suffer brand and culture dilution over time. But I tend to agree with that. And, you know, unless you're in a very operational role, I think you want to show face uh, at the office, at least sometimes.
1: Get back to that water cooler. It's funny, we ever, every now and then, we, we do get some constructive criticism from some of our listeners that talk about our meanderings. And every now and then somebody, I would say that, of what we get is overwhelmingly supportive and positive. And every now and then we get an email there that says, we wish you would not go on these meanderings. Keep it just to CRE. And for those that don't know us, CRE is all we do. And for the last year, there has been no water cooler to go hang around and talk about last night's Met game or the Stanley Cup finals or the Oscars. And accordingly, this is kind of our only opportunity to have water cooler talk so if we do go on these meanderings from time to time, uh, that would explain it. Well, you know, when you go like and see people, which I've done here and there throughout the
2: pandemic, right? What do you talk about? You know, unless it's you, Manus, when we just talk about work the whole time, which is not probably healthy, uh, like, what do you talk about? Oh, how's how's life? Uh, I get up, I sit at my desk, and I go on the couch, and then I go to bed. The you only thing we like talk about fun, right now- Joe. The only thing to talk about right now is uh, the New York Rangers and their push for the playoff spot.
1: Well, I find myself talking about things I never thought we'd talk about. Things like, you know, how did you respond to the vaccine? Or, you know, what do you take for chair rash? You know, <laughs> or is your, is your, you know, hearing kind of degrading because you keep the headphones on all day long? You know, things that are perfect for like a Seinfeld episode, you know, the, the show <laughs> about nothing.
0: So sticking to retail, let's pivot a little bit to restaurants. New York has ended its curfew for restaurants beginning May 3rd. You can actually go up to the bar. Does
2: that mean we can stop pretending like this outdoor dining nonsense is actually outdoor dining?
0: Yes. Like you, it, you,
2: you it, built it, another checks. restaurant on the curb yeah. that's closed.
0: Yeah, in New York, there are these little dining shacks that are an extension of the restaurant so that they could be at capacity. But you're basically sitting in like
1: a little an igloo, essentially. A shanty. <laughs> what you're gonna see soon is in place of the guys that will go around the city collecting cans for cash, there'll be guys walking around the city collecting excess lumber from yes. these shanties and trying to sell it to home builders on the sly. Screw it. I don't need the copper pipes out of this
2: construction site. I need the plywood.
0: (laughs) And one more note on restaurants, a $28.6 billion grant for restaurants, bars, and caterers will open on Monday for small businesses. The idea is it'll offer grants up to $10 million to replace lost sales from 2019 and 2020 gross receipts. So if you're a small business restaurant, you may look into that.
1: Uh, a couple of Democrats, I believe, in the House, who were putting forth a bill that would do a bailout for hotel owners as well. We do know that there was some momentum for that last year. It kind of stalled, never got out, never even got to a vote in the House. I think it had 100 co signers to it, but it really stalled. But earlier today, I did see some press. Uh, I think Representative Christ in Florida was one of the two that had sponsored this kind of looking to support hotels as they try to get back on their feet. So something to keep an eye on as we as this news uh, evolves.
0: And it seems that foot traffic is up for malls by 86% compared to last year. If you remember, we had Placer AI on a podcast several months ago and they reported on that progress. However, That may be too little, too late for some regional malls. There was some news about some potential downgrades of regional malls.
1: Yeah, we did see Moody's put out a piece that talked about several 2012 and I think 2013 deals being downgraded. The market has been watching this for a long time, as we know. CMBX6 bonds in that particular index and that index itself is trading at an all-time wide in terms of its spread and an all-time low in terms of its price Everybody's expecting big defaults out of this. And for those that want to get ahead of this, you know, the data is ripe for this. So if in some way you own these bonds, you weren't expecting them to get downgraded, they got downgraded and you felt like you got hit by a, you know, a two by four in the back of the head, that should really never happen. The data is out there to front run a lot of these ratings moves, you know, which are the largest loans backing um, 2012 and 2013 deals, you know which ones have had lower valuations, which of those valuations are underwater compared to the loan balance, which loans have had appraisal reductions. You know the extent of how delinquent these loans have been. And going beyond that, you also know what percentage of uh, hotels are in these deals. So the story can be told from a risk management perspective before the actual downgrade. And if you're somebody sitting on a portfolio of, let's say, uh, single A's or triple B minuses, you know there are ways to get ahead of this downgrade uh, before it happens. We also have a pricing service which you know operates on behalf of mutual funds and money managers and so forth. Which values all these bonds on a daily basis and has done for so for twenty years, and you know which bonds are being priced already in the triple B-minus cohort more like double B's or single B's. So for those, you know, hopefully nobody got picked off, you know, in terms of holding these things, thinking these were uh, going to be, you know, hold up their rating, you know, for the long term. But if you were Kind of caught by surprises. If you're new to CMBS, there's really no reason that has to happen.
0: You have a couple of tangential sectors, but sticking with New York, you've got a couple different stories there.
1: Let me go back to New York, and I am going back to New York before long. I'm in South Carolina now, but we'll be going back shortly. Uh, on the positive side, sticking with things that uh, I like to report, pharmaceutical software developer Schrodinger Inc has signed a lease for almost 110,000 square feet at 1540 Broadway in Manhattan. Unfortunately, it will be moving from another Manhattan office. So it's not completely absorbing space um, in Manhattan, but it is uh, doubling the space that it has in the Big Apple. And that's a good thing. Steve Cuozo, who writes interestingly for the Post on both real estate and restaurants he does restaurant reviews also it's a, it's an unusual combination um he was the one that that wrote this story and he was saying that it is the biggest lease in Manhattan in 2021 the company is taking over three no four floors and rents in that building were starting in the 70s
2: frodinger that's the guy with the cat right
1: yeah that's right and they are uh, it's a 17 year lease Uh, 16 months of free rent. So happy to see that in New York where uh, it's had its challenges for sure. Uh, A story that wasn't quite so happy. This was also in the New York Post. Uh, It had to do with homeless hotels in midtown Manhattan. Interestingly, they limited their review to only Hell's Kitchen, which is kind of that area in Midtown West that runs from Penn Station, almost up to Central Park West, to West of Seventh Avenue all the way to the river. So it's that kind of part of Manhattan for those that don't know. Um, Back in the forties and fifties, it was very gritty part of town. Uh, It has since become quite nice, lots of great restaurants and uh, high rise housing, but the hotel industry has been decimated there. It was suffering from a glut of rooms even before the pandemic, and you know things only went down from, from there. But the article noted 10 separate hotels now in that area, which are being used for homeless. Now, there, you know, there's no judgmental element to, to me saying this, other than on the positive side, it's great when you can make a hotel 100% full. On the negative side, the minute the city pulls that contract, it's 0% full, and you could be left with a lot of deferred maintenance, right? So it's a double-edged sword. Three of the 10 hotels that they mentioned are kind of part of CMBS. In one case, it's part of a seven-hotel portfolio loan, uh, a single-asset deal. This is the Candlewood Suites at 339 West 39th Street, And then there's two others, one is the Four Points Sheridan and the other is The Row, which used to be known as the Skyline on 8th Avenue. The latter two, the hotel is not collateral for the loan, but the ground lease is. And in the case of The Row, that particular loan has not seen a ground lease payment from the tenant in over a year. So these are some things to watch um, in that particular area. And as I said, they only talk about the west side of Manhattan. They're not talking about any other part of the city. So if there's 10 in that one narrow area, there could be, I don't know, 40, 50 in the city. I don't know, but something to keep an eye on. One last word on that hotel story. If you look for it online, they don't list the hotels on the online version, but I do have a hard copy. And assuming I'm not breaking any copyright laws, we'll be happy to share that image with you if you ask us for which hotels are part of this wave of 10 hotels. If we are breaking any copyright laws in the U.S., I'll have Haley send it out because I think she'd do a lot better in prison than I would.
2: (laughs) But we can make a litz as well for our clients if necessary.
0: Turning to office, we were concerned about how much demand would be forthcoming from the tech titans and whether their demand would taper off. What have we seen?
1: So... We talked before, our our earlier theme for the day was New York City retail. Our second theme for the day is another topic that we've been concerned about for the entirety of the pandemic. During the five years between 2015 and 2019 inclusive, we saw a tremendous growth in absorption of space from the tech titans, Facebook, Google, Amazon, Microsoft, Uh, Twitter, Salesforce and others. We did see some signs during the pandemic of certain companies like Twitter and Salesforce tapping the brakes either by way of saying they were going to have their staff not come back to the office or deciding not to take space that was previously committed. So we speculated that this could be an inflection point if all of these firms decided to either tap the brakes, or even shrink their space, that would be problematic. We did get some signs this week that were really, really extraordinary. Uh, The big one was Apple. The headline that many of you probably saw was that Apple plans to build a one billion square foot campus in North Carolina. Uh, It will create 3,000 jobs in the research triangle, which is kind of that Raleigh-Durham part of the state, central part of the state. Um, But the news got even better from there. It wasn't only North Carolina where the firm is going to uh, add space. They mentioned several other areas that they were going to be expanding to. In California, uh, in San Diego, they're gonna add to their more than 5,000 employees that are already there. They're looking I think if I'm reading this correctly, for another 3,000 employees by 2026, in that uh, that campus in San Diego, in Massachusetts they're looking to add more staff as well. In Texas, they're starting a one billion dollar project in Austin. I guess that's already underway. In Washington State, they want to add more space, and in Iowa as well, a new data center in Waukee. And you know, this is just terrific, right? This is just not a one-off in North Carolina. This is six separate areas. And I should add one more, Boulder, Colorado, where they already have a presence and they're looking to add another 700 employees over the next couple of years. So a wonderful twist to the story that we've been concerned about. And you know, we saw more of that this week. The Puget Sound Business Journal noted that Microsoft is looking to double down on its office space another great sign right they are another company where the employees could easily not work in an office but they are choosing to kind of you know to quote the business journal double down uh, on their office commitment so a couple of great things there
2: i mean all the companies that are making work from home possible are the ones (laughs) committing to more and more office space right apple microsoft right amazon all these things i mean yeah, there's a, I mean, there's a couple of uh, nuggets in the in the news. Actually, Sam Zell was interviewed in Globe Street. I think he came out. The article came out yesterday. It was uh, Lynn Pollack, who and a couple of things he talked about. One was the fact that this was kind of a perfect storm in terms of the oversupply of office space at this point. He said that you know, WeWork and companies like it were soaking up so much space that it kind of falsely inflated occupancy and deflated vacancy, which led to millions and millions of square feet of new office kind of going into the construction pipeline. And we we see it in Hudson Yards here. He was talking about it in Chicago as well and some other cities and how now that, you know, WeWork is contracting and a lot of companies themselves are going to be contracting with this new supply coming online. That's kind of all perfect storm uh, leading to some realignment in office. I did like he, what he said about New York cities, you know, being done for or not. And he said he's had the benefit of six or seven times hearing the prediction that New York was done for. And I never believed any of those. And he doesn't believe it now, you know, our recency bias on people working from home and, you know, people moving to far flung regions for lower cost housing and still working in these high cost areas like on Zoom, it's probably gonna be overblown. Our, our, you know, implications of it, I think, are overblown in our own minds because we're living it right now.
1: With all due respect to Sam Zell, and I do believe he's probably been through six or seven of these, uh, he's probably not recalling just how bad New York was in the 70s and 80s, right? The area where people were conducting commerce was in a really skinny area between really Third Avenue and Seventh Avenue, Right, And where you see offices now on the far west side um, or on First Avenue, apartment complexes north of 86th Street or on the Lower East Side, that didn't happen in the 1970s. It was a really small area. Times Square was was really not safe in, in any way, shape, or form. And whether he's right or wrong about this comeback will depend on the quality of life issues. And if New York gets the quality of life issues wrong, it will look like the 70s again, that people will say, I prefer not to be there. But if they do get them right, he's gonna be right. And it's gonna come back and it's gonna be vibrant and it's gonna be a fun place to be again.
2: Well, I did see there was an article about de Blasio putting out putting a task force together in the NYPD to bolster you know, the, the show of force in the areas where people work and where tourism happens. So in Times Square, or Midtown, those types of places. Because it's definitely true, right? Like you got to get people back into the office and it's going to be hard to get them back in the office when, you know, you're kind of, you got to keep your head on a swivel when you're going from the train to the office building, which, yeah, I mean, which, I, which of- you know, we're used to as being New Yorkers in a way, but you know, it's, it's a little bit worse right now.
1: Yeah, one more story we have about uh, a, a lease in New York, you know, another company, it has to do with Microsoft in a way. Bill Gates is Bill Gates's organization, C16 Biosciences. He's adding 20,000 square feet in that same Hell's Kitchen area. In this particular case, uh, 619 West 54th Street, so real close to the the West Side Highway, almost as far west as you can get. That area has signed other leases for healthcare and pharmaceutical firms. In his case, his firm is trying to make uh, a breakthrough in creating environmentally friendly or alternatives to palm oil, which apparently is just terrible for the environment. And uh, I don't know if I've ever used palm oil. Joe, you? You
0: probably have and not know it. It's is in every Is it everything. in
1: shampoo?
0: Yeah, probably. Soap, detergent, ice cream.
1: Well, I'm doing my part for the environment when it comes to shampoo. I AKA shampoo not using and his- rinse, <laughs> and that's it. <laughs> I don't repeat. I shampoo and rinse and I'm doesn't done. doesn't
0: follow directions, apparently.
1: Is the is the repeat still in the directions
2: of yes. shampoo bottles? Yes, I mean, who
0: repeats? Course. The people that are selling shampoo. How
2: That's much right.
1: grease do you have in there that you got to repeat? You just got to use that one, you know, that one squirt and really get in there, Joe. <laughs> I've heard that. You do have a great
2: head. For people who don't know Manis, he has a great head of hair. So you got to listen to any of his... Uh, this is true. Advice on that. It's usually
0: covered with a hat though.
2: I'd sign up for that head of hair at your age, yeah. at
1: your advanced age.
2: <laughs> Ouch. Yeah, All but right.
1: uh, you know, you get the lower back pain and falling arches. You know, it's a trade-off. We have two other quick
2: things on Office. One is Jamie Diamond came out and announced that they're coming back 50% in New York City on May 17th. So that's pretty soon. It's in like two or three weeks. Exxon back in Houston, May 17th. And then on the other side of the coin, we had that story in Tripwire related to 452 Fifth Avenue uh, and HSBC in general. That HSBC has announced that they're going to to go to a more flexible hybrid work uh, environment, which will include cutting their office footprint by 20% this year. And here's a big one, which Martha pointed out to us before, reduce business travel by half. Now I could understand reducing business travel by half in 2021, but if, if that's like a long-term thing, and that, that's another, we haven't even really talked too much about that, but that's kind of a big, big move for airlines, for the, you know, the hotel industry and everything else.
1: The thing about these headquarters moves on the JPM front, they are not limiting themselves to 50%. I believe Diamond said they would come back in much bigger numbers. The 50% is a New York City limitation that they have to limit their footprint to 50%. Otherwise-
2: I think that just changed though, like today or yesterday.
1: I think they came out and raised it to 70, 75, I think. But his original (laughs) comment about that was, was the limitation was not his own. Exxon, you mentioned a third entity going back the NFL. They're going back on, and this is the the office employees on May 24th. Uh, And you know why that's happening? The draft? No, it's because none of the players want to go back. It started with the Denver Broncos and then it went to other teams. They have these mandatory off-season workouts, oh, the OTAs and off-season or something activities, off-season yeah. team activities and the players don't never like them. And because of COVID they don't want to do it and I think the league basically said, how can we request these guys go back to work if we don't even have our office employees going back to work? So I think that has a lot to do with it. On the other side, you mentioned HSBC, another in that category, Deutsche Bank came out and said they see the new normal for them being two or three days a week work from home. And they have a lot of US offices, Washington DC, New York, of course, Jacksonville, Florida, um, really across the US, San Francisco. So something to watch there if they start shedding space as well, because as Fitch noted, If three days a week is the new normal, you need about 50% less space, which obviously the math makes sense. Um, And and they would be net givers back of space if if it comes to that. FYI, the NFL draft is tonight.
2: I came off sounding like a complete loser thinking it was (laughs) next month. Just
1: saying.
0: In other office news, we saw a number of other stories that we wanted to call attention to.
1: Yeah, we saw uh, a few things. They, I guess they kind of fall into the area of like bric-a-brac BJ's, the uh, bulk supplier, they have a headquarters in Westboro, Mass. Currently at once back to CMBS alone, they are looking to move to Marlboro, Mass, which is not far away, but in the process, they will be shrinking their footprint. Marlboro, Mass was known for two things. It used to be a big kind of pharmaceutical corridor before everybody moved to Cambridge, Mass. A lot of pharma used to be there. uh, So a lot of office parks there. And for anybody who's had a kid in the Northeast play travel hockey, it was the destination several times a year for these crazy hockey tournaments that involved rowdy kids, you know, 12-year-olds running through hotels, getting chastised, throwing pool furniture into pools and other You know, bad behavior that the parents would get blamed for. Another one we talked about, this was a good story from Natalie Castelny of the Philadelphia Business Journal. She and I go way back. She put out a piece that talks about all the people in the Philadelphia MSA that are giving back space. You can look for her piece, but the one I'll point out, which was really noteworthy to us, was Farmers Insurance will be giving up 210,000 square feet on Beaver Valley Road in Wilmington, Delaware. That property is 80% occupied currently only by farmers. There used to be another firm in there, Solennis, which was a chemical manufacturer. They have already moved out in early 2020. And now Farmers is looking to give back that space that at least runs until 2025, but they do have the ability to give some of it back before then. So that's one to watch. It does back a fairly sizable loan, which is part of a 2015 CMBS deal. If you want that story, let Haley know and we'll be happy to send that along to you. So I was just kind of
2: perusing a few REITs earnings and one, I, I, since I knew we were gonna talk about office, I just took a look at Boston Properties, uh, which released their earnings a couple of days ago and a couple of highlights here uh, or lowlights maybe, in terms of occupancy, kind of same store, or should say same office, year-over-year occupancy, uh, in Boston they've gone from ninety-six and a half to ninety-three and a half percent. In New York, ninety-four to ninety. San Francisco, ninety-six to ninety-one, and LA, ninety-six to eighty-two. So I don't know if there's probably a story behind that. I haven't dug all the way into the earnings, but uh, they did also have some highlights, uh, including big uh, leases signed. I think one was issued, one, there was a press release in the last couple of days. They signed a 72,000 square foot 10-year lease with Roku in uh, the Colorado Center in Los Angeles. So maybe that LA number will go up uh, after that. But I just thought that was another interesting kind of tech tenant taking up a decent chunk of space there. Roku, they They're the ones in control of the rails of a lot of the uh, streaming that's going on in the world today.
1: I have a Roku, if you can imagine. You probably thought, Joe, that I have one of those TVs where you have to Where is it in the drawer? You turn the channel by hand and you got to move the rabbit ears. No, I do have a Roku. I remember that. And I figured out how to utilize it.
2: Remember the cable box where you had to, it was only like nine buttons and you had to press channel one, nine, and then channel again to get there? Oh, those were the
1: days. I remember back in the day that my father wouldn't buy the, the sports package. And to kind of not allow you to see it, they'd have the big, big, thick line through it. So you can kind of watch the game in a wavy form, you know, <laughs> get little snippets of it here and there. And uh, you try to pull it off. And usually after about 25 minutes, you'd end with a raging headache and enormous frustration and wonder why life was so cruel.
0: <laughs> do we have a deal of the week, Manis?
1: Funny you should ask, Martha. We do have a deal of the week. Of the- and this is via Mile High CRE. That's the publication. Oh, buddy. And the story is about the Johnstown Plaza in Johnstown, Colorado. It's sold for 21.6 million. Uh, it has three buildings totaling about 83,000 square feet. The buildings were sold in two separate deals uh, with a closing taking place simultaneously. I always like to talk about why I like these deals. Um, this particular deal I singled out because again, it's not the kind of stuff that is essential during downtimes. it does have a Burlington which is a great anchor and that has done extraordinarily well during the pandemic but it also has an Ulta Beauty and Anytime Fitness a martial arts place, a salon spa, a red wing shoes, a restaurant. So a lot of different things that you would have thought would have been closed during the pandemic probably would have struggled. And people still may be wondering how quickly and how thorough will be the bounce back for properties like this. So Ryan Bowlby and Drew Isaac of Marcus and Millichap's Denver office listed the property on behalf of the seller So congratulations to Marcus Milchow for getting this deal done and for, uh, again, showing us that there's activity taking place even in parts of the market where you wouldn't expect it.
0: So let's do some shout outs. Dan McNamara, a repeat offender on our podcast outreach. He actually had a nice casting of our podcast team in godfather roles so that got a chuckle out of us and Donut Shorts responded with mall loans playing the role of Luca Brassi sleeping with the fishes. So another good Godfather movie reference. And our friend Lucius sent over some details on the student housing market for reference based on his experience. Joe, did you want to walk yeah, through Yeah, this dessert, So
2: first of all, just on Dan McNamara, he used the word Fredo in the same sentence as me, which... You know, I I worked it out with him in the DMs on Twitter. I told him, I actually sent him, when I read, I saw all the back and forth happening, I was sitting on the couch watching The Godfather, the part where Michael goes to see his father in the hospital and there's nobody there, right? And it's a me, Enzo de Baker, that guy. I hear for your father, your father. My wife is sitting next to me. I go, this is one of the best scenes in, in cinema history. Like these, this three-minute stretch. I look and then... Two seconds later, I look over; she's sound asleep. It's like it means nothing. Like this is the greatest scene in cinema history. Boom, sound asleep. Anyway, it's a great scene. There's no it's such denying a good that... scene. Yes. Um, so yeah, Lucius, uh, Lucius C. Uh, from Brooklyn by way of Michigan. Um, he sent. We talked a little bit about student housing last week, and he sent a uh, a, a missive. I would call it. And i got to give you a couple of tidbits from it here. So I have only positive things to say about my former landlady in Bethlehem, PA. However, speaking specifically to Ann Arbor, Michigan, the low-life snake-in-the-grass cabal of property owners there somehow have convinced the nitwits in the state legislature that they should be able to require a lease renewal 60 days after the lease starts. So he was saying that the moral of the story is in those types of cases, you may sign a lease for the 2019 through 2020 school year and still have to sign your lease for the following school year a a couple of months later. Um, A couple of other great words he used in there, troglodyte and homunculi, homunculi, homunculi. I don't know exactly how it says, but Lucius is always great with the uh, verbose
1: uh, missives. I feel
0: there, I, it's a small.
1: Person. He's got the wrong calling. He shouldn't be in CRE. He should be in SAT prep.
0: Yeah, three <laughs> three good words in one small email. I was impressed. And then uh, BB at dogged tenacity on Twitter: What will happen to all of the office loans that have been in forbearance since the start of the pandemic? Was the question.
1: Yeah, we haven't seen a lot of office loans in forbearance. The only ones that you would see perhaps in that category would be borrowers who are still committed to properties, but have a hole in the rent roll. Somebody has left a 40% hole and they're having a struggling debt service coverage ratio. And even if they were given forbearance, I think it would be largely in the form of maybe making the loan interest only for a period of time or something like that. I think the biggest question is
2: where are the loans gonna go when they, if you know the ones that mature this year and next, You know, granted in CMBS over the last many years, the the total LTV on a lot of these loans is fairly low. So even if they had a drop in value, they should be generally okay. But I'm sure there's a lot of stuff uh, that may have some trouble refinancing through normal means. So that's where, you know, all these debt funds and mortgage REITs and alternative lenders may actually have their day in the sun over the next year or two.
1: Yeah, I I just don't see a whole lot of distress in the near term. It would only come from near term maturities with with big, big tenants coming due and or big right. vacancies already right. and not a lot of prospects. Right. That that's right. where it is. And for the time being, there's some of that, but not an enormous amount.
2: Yeah, the capital markets for office lo- like stabilized office loans in Manhattan is extremely conservative right now. So if that remains the case, then you know if you're, if you're looking for refinance and your true LTV is 75 or 80 and you've got some funky tenants who are looking to downsize, that could, that could be when you have to look for alternative sources of funds.
0: And a couple of programming notes. RMS Exceedance Risk Conference is Tuesday, May 4th uh, through May 6th. And our own Tom Fink will be speaking on a panel alongside Morgan Stanley, Fannie Mae, and RMS on how climate risks are impacting the mortgage industry. So check that out. And if you're interested, send us a note and we'll give you the details of that. And a community call upcoming on May 19th, our very own Joe McBride is gonna moderate that. With I'll a be panel. much more
2: well-behaved than I am on the podcast.
0: I have to be. And panelists include Ryan Severino from JLL, who's been on our pod, and a professor from the University of Denver and managing director from Heinz. So if you're interested in that as well, send us a note and we will give you the details for that. And in closing this week, the Census Bureau announced how many seats each state will have for the next 10 years. And it seems that seats are migrating south and west with one exception. For the first time in history, California is among the list of states losing population. So the question is, when are we moving?
2: California minus one seat. Michigan, Illinois, Ohio, Pennsylvania, New York, West Virginia, all also minus one. North Carolina, Florida, Texas, Colorado, Montana, Oregon, plus one. So what's the moral of the story? Go where it's warm and where they're not taxing you to death. Tax-friendly.
1: Well, the one thing you never see is, you know, people that leave rarely come back, right? I don't think you're going to see a reverse migration back to New York, other than from perhaps the Hamptons or the Poconos or somewhere nearby where people were living there uh, in, in short-term housing or something like that. I don't think the person who has gone to Florida for the last year uh, is planning anytime soon to go back to New York or Illinois or or California.
0: With that, we will close. Thanks to our producer, Haley Keene. Join us next week as we review what's happened during the week and how it may be impacting you. If you have a question or a comment, send us an email at podcast.trep.com. And for more info, visit trep.com and subscribe to the podcast with your favorite provider. Thank you for listening and stay well.
2: All right.